Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Vegan Proteins Muscles by Brussels Radio. My name is Giacomo. And I'm Danny. And this is our 27th episode. So it's been a little bit since we had a chance to put another podcast out, and I'm pretty excited about today, actually, because we've been meaning to get on that. We've just been keeping busy with some projects. I mean, obviously, a lot's been going on since we last did a podcast, right? Uh, For me, I guess most notably in my personal life, I had another powerlifting meet. Uh, It was at the end of August. And that was a pretty exciting one for me. You know, I had redemption on my deadlift because the last time I missed my third attempt and this time I got it. (laughs) I didn't go for 500 because I wanted to play it safe. So I went for 45. So there are some gains that I feel like were left on the table that I did not get to display on the platform. So there will be more meets in the future. I actually thought about doing one in December, but... I just want to take some time in between meets because if it's like anything else, if you're just constantly competing, it's, it's really hard to make progress, you know? Yeah, and I find that the more advanced you become, the less often you should really be testing your one rep max. I would say so, you know? I mean, I don't know a whole lot about powerlifting program. I mean, I know enough to make gains, but as like the far as how often I should peak and whatnot, I haven't done enough of that to feel really familiar with it, but what I can see is that it's helpful to not be constantly peaking for your next meet, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you think about it, like when you're a brand new athlete or even a, a lower intermediate athlete, your strength is going up kind of quickly. So testing frequently makes more sense because you build your programs off of your one rep max. So if your own one rep max keeps increasing, then your program would change. But as you become more advanced, those gains come slower and slower and like you fight for every pound and then, you know, you can test every six months or so. So right, I feel just like my we're two both, cents. Yeah. And we're both kind of at that point now, I would say uh, outside of that. Yeah. I mean, we have our usual projects like plant built is kind of right around the corner, huh? <laughs> yeah. That's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> that's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Been like delaying that work for as long as possible just to, you know, keep settling into our new place. And I mean, it's, you know, it's a big undertaking and we're going to be doing some pretty cool things. I am definitely looking forward to it. Uh, I really like having this year off. I just mostly missed my team really badly Yeah, (laughs) and I would really like to see them. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, too. That's going to be the light at the end of the tunnel. I would say so. The time off is good, though. Don't get me wrong. It's like, I just want a little more of this time off and a little more of this time off and a little bit of this more of this time off. But yeah, it's time to get back to business. Uh, basically, I would say that the newest additions to Plant Built, as, uh, you know, instead of just doing what we're doing every year, uh, would be the Olympic lifting team, the kettlebell sport team, which already exists, but we'd like to expand on that, and the strongman team. Those are the athletes that we'll be adding and the teams that we'll be adding over the course of the next couple months, and hopefully that all works out for 2017. Yeah, that'll be really cool. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about strongman except the clips of stuff that I've seen that looks really, really badass, so that'll be kind of fun to watch at the very, very least. Another project that we have taken on that is cool, uh, but kind of overwhelming at the same time, our dear friend Robert Cheek 
um, has had a vegan bodybuilding and fitness group on Facebook for years, probably like six or seven years. And it's got close to 30,000 members. And he recently decided that uh, he was kind of kind of over Facebook for a while and he didn't really want to manage that group anymore because he has other things he wants to focus on. And when he said he was going to dissolve the group, there was a lot of um, protest. Please don't get rid of this group. It means so much to me, blah, 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 blah. So he came to us and asked us if Plant Built would take the group over and keep it going because um, he hadn't had time to really moderate it and it was kind of going crazy. I guess. I mean, we've we've mentioned the group before. It, it had been kind of a shit show at the end there. Um, so uh, we thought about it and we decided to take the group over. So unfortunately, apparently once you have more than 500 members, you can't change the name of a group, which sucks because we really wanted it to be called Plant Built. <laughs> uh, so now it's called Vegan Bodybuilding and Fitness and it has a big Plant Built picture in the background. So that group is now run by Plant Built. We have a bunch of moderators from Plant Built. We have some more strict rules to stick by. Um, so it's a little bit less disorganized. We decided not to police the sort of advice that people give as long as they're not trying to cure illnesses. So, uh, you know, to be very inclusive of all different kinds of vegans, um, because Plant Built has vegans on it that eat you know, many, many different styles of eating that maybe Giacomo and I don't necessarily agree with, but there are vegan athletes out there who do it. And who are we to say that that kind of talk can't be part of a plant-built Facebook group with 30,000 people in it. So, so still turn to vegan bodybuilding and nutrition group for all of your sciency evidence-based needs. That group is run super, super well. But, you know, if, if you've long since abandoned the vegan bodybuilding and fitness group, maybe swing back through, take a look. Um, hopefully we'll be turning things around and we could use as many uh, as many intelligent sound voices in that group as is humanly possible. So <laughs> come back and say hi, all right? All right. Well, work aside, what's been going on in your personal life, Danny? I actually got an Instagram comment about the fact that we ask each other that on the air. Are you serious? Yeah. They didn't realize that we were a couple <laughs> because we always ask what the other person's been up to. Uh, so if anybody listening to this is confused at all, yeah, Jack Mo and I, we're married. We live together. Nah, she just uh, lives here with me. I don't know. I don't know who she is. We mostly ask what the other one's been doing as like a prompt to talk. So it's not really <laughs> weird and awkward. Uh, but apparently we made it more weird and awkward by oh, doing boy. that. Jeez, <laughs> um, what have I been up to? Well, the last time y'all heard from me, I was pretty freaking miserable. Hence that last really, really dark podcast. Like, leave it to me to take muscles by Brussels and turn it <laughs> really dark. Um, so, you know, all that that stuff happened. And that was a really rough few months of a very rough year. And there's still some there's still some lingering bits of that that I'm not going to get into today because I want to keep it positive. Um, but overall, things have been better. Um, I decided that my body was taking way too much of a beating doing powerlifting style workouts, which I, I liked a lot of aspects of the powerlifting style workouts. Um, but there were some things that I really didn't like about them. Um, one being I was just lifting too heavy too often for my 
joints and connective tissues and stuff to really be able to recover well in between because powerlifting, while it is a goal, it is not my main goal. And I think my programming was designed a little bit as though powerlifting was my main goal. Meanwhile, I'm still doing all this accessory work because I need areas of my body to grow and uh, lower reps with higher weight isn't necessarily the best way to make some of those body parts grow. So I have come back to my bodybuilding home, (laughs) which is where I've decided that I am just a happier person there. My body feels a lot better there. Um, Bodybuilding workouts still definitely give you, they, they definitely do give you a beating, but it's in a different kind of a way. Your joints can definitely keep up. You're able to train longer and harder and more frequently without um, needing quite as much downtime as I find that I needed in a a more powerlifting style of training. And that's just me personally. I know a lot of people, you know, do great with powerlifting training. But I was getting um, not huge injuries, but like little nagging injuries that just weren't going to go away unless I stopped doing what I was doing. And within changing back to a more bodybuilding style of training, um, I feel 100% better. All of those little nagging injuries are gone. My strength is still increasing, which is, you know, the big fear that a lot of people have when they move to more varied rep ranges and frequency of training is that their strength is going to suffer. Like, yeah, you might get a pump, but maybe you're not getting stronger still. And that so far has not been the case for me at all. I think there's certain lifts that I do a lot better in a higher rep range than a lower rep range. But still, when it comes to testing my one rep maxes, they're still looking good. So there's that. That's what I've been up to. And uh, as far as how my eating has been going, last time we talked, I had mentioned that I had pretty much stopped tracking for a few months and was more intuitively eating. And that is actually what we're going to talk about today. We put a call out in the Facebook group like, hey guys, what do you want to hear us talk about? And this was one of the suggestions was intuitive eating and what we think about it. And uh, it was actually a perfect time to talk about it because I had just done it for several months. So that's what we're talking about today. Yeah, I guess my real, you know, my curiosity is, is why, why did you decide to start eating intuitively this time around in your off season? Well, I talked about it on the last podcast was basically there was so much shit going on around me that needed my attention. Like bodybuilding is not the most important thing in my life 100% of the time. And some of the bigger things that were going on required more of my focus and I had less energy or even care to focus so much on weighing every gram of what I was eating like I normally do. So I just decided to start, you know, I've tracked everything that I've eaten, you know, 90% of the time for the last five years. I can track food in my sleep, basically. So when I say I stopped tracking, I still had a rough idea of how much I was eating. And I just needed to know at that point that that was going to be enough. And uh, overall, it was a pretty good experience, I would say, in light of everything crappy that was going on. Uh, Intuitive eating, it wasn't 
really that hard for me to do because again, I know what my body needs in order to function at its best. And I know what my goals are, which right now is building muscle. And I know what my body feels like when I'm feeding it enough to build muscle. Um, And it also gave me more wiggle room for some of the events that were going on. Lots of family meetups that had weird food that I couldn't have predicted in advance and um, without having to worry or stress on top of all the other stresses about making sure that I was eating X grams of carbohydrates, uh, I was able to be more present in what was going on when I needed to the most. Yeah, you know, this is going to be interesting as far as my perspective goes on this particular podcast because I'm very interested in the philosophy of intuitive eating and I'm not opposed to doing it myself. I've just never really embarked on that journey at all. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, you know, I don't always count my macros to the gram. I don't always weigh out my foods and I'm perfectly okay with having some days where I just don't track at all and I just have a general idea of what's on my plate and what's my total uh, allotment of food for the day. Um, but I've never actually done this. But I think the difference with you is, is even when you take days off from tracking, you're still, um, thinking about the numbers that you need to hit and roughly getting to that point mostly, correct? More often than not. Yeah. So when I was eating intuitively, I started that way and then that became too stressful for me to try and hit the right numbers in my head and on days when I wasn't even close, then I would kind of beat myself up for that. So eventually I just got to the point where it's like, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to eat what I want when I'm hungry until I'm not. And that's how it's going to be right now with the only thing of me being mindful of was getting a fair amount, not a lot, but uh, you know, an appropriate amount of protein for my goals right now, which is easy for me anyway, because I love protein food. So it's not like that was a big stressor for me. Um, and I think that's the difference is true intuitive eating is eating what you want when you want without feeling good or bad about it. It's just, you're giving your body what it wants. Well, I think when it comes to intuitive eating uh, and still doing it, being goal-oriented as a bodybuilding competitor, I think it's a little different than just an individual who is just looking to intuitively eat and maintain a a healthy body and mind. Absolutely. So, so much. And I think that is super, super important to differentiate is that uh, I love intuitive eating. I love the idea of intuitive eating for the vast majority of people. And I feel like that should be the end goal for as many people as possible. However, where our main sport is bodybuilding, that is not practical for a good chunk of the time. It is just, it's not going to get you to your goals. As far as, as far as fitness and aesthetic goals are concerned, tracking is king. Tracking is still going to be 
the best way to get you to your goals, whether that's to get shredded for a bodybuilding stage, to build muscle, to get stronger, to run a race faster, tracking is still going to be superior to intuitive eating for those purposes. Yeah, I mean, as long as you can do it healthfully. I mean, if tracking is getting to the point where it's causing you to be mentally unwell or triggering if you've had disordered eating uh, patterns in the past, in that regard, you know, it's something that you maybe should shy away from because if you're in tune with your body enough and if you've done this enough and you've been through the ring with bodybuilding comps, I think you can be honest enough with yourself to still reach your goals on a higher level. I mean, yeah, if we're being realistic, obviously, if you to optimize everything to the gram, there are some clear advantages to that and there really is no way to... to do better than that. When I say that it's optimal, what I mean is it's optimal if we were all robots. Right. (laughs) If human beings were all just machines, robots trying to achieve certain goals and tracking is the best, best, best way to do it. However, as Giacomo just pointed out, we are not all robots. And for some people, tracking food is either very triggering of a sort of neurotic personality Or it can just be very, very stressful because for some people it doesn't come easily. And even after the learning curve that everybody sort of has to go through to get to the point where they're able to track their food, um, it can still continue to be too stressful for the benefit. Yeah, I mean, I've gone through periods of time where I'm like, oh, God, I'm just so tired of having to do this over and over again because I'm just not in the mood for it. You know, and those periods go away, but they come and they go from time to time. You know, I'm human just like everybody else. Right. I've. That's kind of how I felt uh, in the middle of this last few months was just like, dude, I've tracked my food every day for five fucking years and I just can't right now. I just fucking can't right now. <laughs> like what's going to happen if you stop tracking? Oh my God, like everything's going to go wrong. Right. And I think that's something important to talk about is that uh, you know, it was probably, I want to say like two months or so of not tracking, maybe three, somewhere, somewhere in there, somewhere between eight and 12 weeks of not tracking. And guess what happened? What happened? Nothing, nothing happened. I continued to train at the gym and get stronger. My weight stayed in like a four pound range which now that I'm tracking, my weight <laughs> fluctuates up and down in like a five or six pound range, depending on if I had a high day or a low day the day prior. So uh, believe it or not, my weight was actually more stable while I was intuitively eating. So I think that's really important to note that people, um, guilty also, and so are you, <laughs> we don't trust ourselves enough to be able to fuel our bodies without them going haywire. We don't trust ourselves enough to be able to use the tools that, you know, to learn to use the tools on our own that others have shown us how to use. Well, with good reason. I mean, when you track your food regularly and you eat by a clock or you eat by a certain number of grams of stuff you have to eat, you are basically saying screw you to any hunger signals or fullness signals that you have. So you are literally teaching yourself to not pay attention to those things because it doesn't matter if you're hungry or full. If it says eat this much, you're going to eat this much. 
You know what I mean? Mm. And they're are really good things about that and there are really bad things about that and i kind of want to dive into that a little bit please so ignoring your body's cues of i'm hungry or i'm full is critical in achieving physique goals it is critical our bodies crave homeostasis they want to be at your genetic set point your genetic body fat set point, your genetic muscle set point. That's where your body wants to be. And it's going to send you every signal that it can to stay right there. But for most of us, or at least most of the people that are listening to this podcast, we have goals. And the goal could be a fitness goal, a strength goal, or a physique goal. But generally to reach that goal, our bodies have to change. They have to adapt. And they're not going to adapt unless we make them adapt. And I don't mean like force and bend and break, make it adapt. I mean that you're going to need to put your body in a place where it's uncomfortable. So listening to your body sometimes does not help you get to those goals. If I'm trying to build muscle, which I am right now, I have to eat past the point of satisfaction. I can't just sit down and eat a meal and be satisfied and say, okay, my body says I'm satisfied, I'm done eating. That is going to keep me right where I am. I need to hit that point and go past that point. So here's a question for you. Say that you're intuitive eating and you're doing it in a goal-oriented fashion and just knowing that when you're looking at your own data, whether it's body weight, measurements, strength in the gym and whatnot, you know, you you see yourself headed towards a certain direction or not, that you want to or headed towards a certain direction that you don't want to. Can you intuitively eat towards the direction that you want to? Um, or do you, do you really have to honor your body's signals to, to do it the right way? Well, I think at that point you're hitting some like weird hybrid of, which is, you know, that's all, usually the answer is something in the middle. It's not one way or another. Mm-hmm. Like I just said, I know that I have to eat past the point of satisfaction So it's easy for me to just know that and then say, I'm satisfied. So I'm going to eat a little bit more and then I'm going to be done. Or like I have to be a little more hungry than I'd like to be because my goal right now is to be a little leaner. And I know that's what's going to get. Right. (laughs) That's harder. You can intuitively like like that kind of hybridized thing where you're intuitively eating and just making sure that you feel X amount of hunger. You know what I mean? But there's also, you know, we talk a lot about... Um, you know, tips on how to achieve certain goals on this podcast, right? Mm. We're talking about people who can't eat past when they're full. So, hey, here's a trick on how to do that. Eat more dates, put beans in your smoothie, et cetera, et cetera. We have all these little tiny hacks to trick our bodies into thinking they're eating less or more than they Mm. actually are. And it's like, where does intuitive eating fit into that? So you have to think that you, for fitness purposes, for goals purposes, that's what I'm going to call it from this point out, Hmm. for goals purposes, you need to at least have all these little nuggets in your mind to take them into account when you're trying to eat intuitively. And that sounds harder than it actually is. If you have the basic understanding of calories in versus calories out, what foods are dense, what foods are not dense, then... It's not that hard to keep this in the back of your mind while you're doing it. Right. See, I, I guess my my thoughts are for most people, not for everyone. 
if you've had a disordered eating past, intuitively eating could be a good idea for you right out the gate. But I'd say for most I don't pe- think so. No? I don't think it's a good idea right out of the gate hmm. for people with disordered eating pasts, actually. Oh, okay. As somebody who has had disordered eating pasts and who has worked with lots of clients that come from disordered eating, they don't know what normal is. Hmm. You don't know what hunger feels like. You don't remember what fullness feels like. So is, is eating like a regimented meal program I, a good idea? I think that's a great place to start for those people. Not tracking because numbers in and of themselves can be very triggering to people that have right. disordered eating past. So kind of be like the jump from meal program but it's to just like, eating. Yeah, it's okay. more like a meal program thing. Like you're going to eat three squares a day at this time, this time, this time and stick to that for a while. And then after a while you begin to learn what hunger feels like. You begin to learn what fullness feels like. Mm-hmm. Uh, things that as babies, we knew. We intuitively knew what hunger was and fullness was. And as we get into you know, growing up in a dieting culture and then diving into whatever sort of sports science it is that you're interested in and trying to learn everything that you can, uh, we teach ourselves to forget what those feelings are. Like I said, sometimes there's a, there's a purpose behind that. There's a reason that people do that. But you don't want to, you never want to sever that tie completely, ever. You never want to forget what it feels like to be hungry, forget what it feels like to be full, forget what it feels like to open a cabinet and pick out what you want to eat, make a human-sized portion of it, and eat it and be done. And I feel like that is a skill just like macro tracking, just like dieting, just like bulking, trusting yourself to be able to make a fucking meal without a scale is very, very important as well. Yeah, I'd say so. And, you know, all these tools that you learn along the way, it's a little hard to stop using them, like weighing out food and whatnot, but you really do get very adept at being able to eyeball portions. I mean, we play this game all the time when we go out to eat, right? It's like, (laughs) it's kind of one of my favorite things to do with you. We're like, just a plate comes out and whether it's ours or someone else, we kind of look at each other like, what do you think it is? What do you think it is? And we come up to these conclusions, protein, carbs, fats, X amount of grams. And I swear to God, like we're almost spot on from each other, you know, plus or minus as little as five to 10 grams because you just, you have an eye for it after Mm -hmm. a while. Yeah. Uh, you do, and that's that's a good thing to know, but it's a good thing to know how to deviate from that yeah. too without stressing it. And I feel like the not stressing it part is so much harder than we could possibly explain in this podcast. I mean, people spend their entire lives trying to learn how to trust themselves to eat something that they're afraid of eating without some horrible body repercussions happening from it. Like people spend their whole lives trying to do that. So I'm certainly not going to Mm -hmm. be so pompous as to try and explain it now. But I will say that for most people, intuitive eating does come easier with time. And I do incorporate uh, a free meal. That's what I call it, a free meal. Not a cheat meal, not a goddamn cheat meal, but <laughs> I really I, hate that word. Me too. I hate it so much. Mm-hmm. But I do incorporate a free meal, sometimes two, into all of my, almost all of my training clients' 
every week. And that, while yes, you do get to fulfill the cravings that you're having, that is in and of itself a practice in intuitive eating. If I have people in the off season, I've had some people even having three of these meals a week. Um, you know, people don't hire me to say, just intuitively eat what you want and you'll reach your goals. Like that's not why people come to me. So I don't, (laughs) I would never suggest that to most people that come to me. And if I think that's what they need, I'm going to send them to somebody that does that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I never want people to forget how to eat a meal without going nuts. So I like to keep that in for that reason. You know, some people say, well, the best way to get to your goals is to track all your macros for every meal. And yeah, that's true. That's a hundred percent true. But again, not robots. So I assume people aren't going to weigh and measure their food every meal, every day for the rest of their life. Eventually people are going to, you know, even the highest level bodybuilders eventually are going to eat meals without weighing everything. And it's important to always have that skill and not lose it. Yeah. So I guess the, the, pressing question for me is like well obviously eating in the off season would be the safest time to intuitively eat right because you have more wiggle room absolutely and i find that eating past the point of satisfaction is a lot 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 easier than stopping eating before the point of satisfaction imagine that's brutal (laughs) i can't i can't imagine being starving like four weeks out from a contest and being like, I'm going to intuitively eat nothing today. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I know I shouldn't. Yeah. Uh. So I think the off season for a bodybuilder is, or any building phase, which for most athletes that are not bodybuilders is all the fucking time. <laughs> um, <laughs> so a strength phase, a building phase, that's a good time yeah. to learn how to intuitively eat. Uh, you know, maybe not if you're like cutting a weight class or something for a strength meet, um, or what have you, but for most athletes, I think you can work towards intuitively eating with the knowledge of all these things we've talked about in the back of your mind and have a good amount of success and also have a happy, healthy life, which is very important. But for bodybuilding, I would say, keep it to the off season. Very true. Would you ever try it in the off-season, Giacomo? Yeah, I don't see why not. I see fear. I see fear in his eyes. No, no. I'm not I'm not scared of doing it. I'm just... I guess I like the, the control right now of how I feel like I can really look at everything closely. I mean, I still have this end result of trying to get a pro card eventually. Right. And I haven't really gotten there yet. You know what I mean? And, and honestly, I just... I'm comfortable enough with the process and goal and I have that goal in sight and I'm like if I could do every little thing right just so well I not? actually agree with you if it weren't for this shit storm that hit us recently I would not have done this at all because we're not trying to just be regular people who happen to compete we're trying to be elite and when you're trying to be elite in the sport of bodybuilding Everything counts. There's no days off from bodybuilding as far as your long-term career goes. You don't get to just forget about it for a while. Yeah. I mean, I feel like even those who are the genetically gifted that can start bodybuilding and, and eating to in a way that will get you to the stage, even those who are like genetically gifted that they can 
they can like win their pro card in a year or two. That doesn't mean that they're going to be their their best, their elite. I mean, bodybuilding is a, a long game. I mean, I would say it takes, I would say ten years is my is my personal um, opinion on it. I would say about ten years is a is a good point in time. If you can do it consistently for that long, you'll reach your genetic ceiling. Yeah, ten years, almost halfway there. <laughs> Not quite. <Zing>. But. <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh yeah so that was kind of a long-winded way of saying you can do it in the off season you can learn how to do it in the off season and i encourage you to um maybe not your entire off season just do it and, for a and when, duration one thing i would not recommend at all is to try and do it right after your competition season because mm-hmm. if you are intuitively eating post-competition you're gonna eat everything you're going to eat goddamn everything because your body is not going to stop sending hu- hunger signals for a long time. I mean, if you had a 12-week prep, you're going to feel hungry for 12 weeks after the prep, at least. At least. So, uh, and that would still be intuitively eating because you're never going to feel full. So, <laughs> just based on the way your hormones are jacked after a show, you are going to be hungry you'll be gaining two pounds, three pounds, four pounds a week, and you'll still be hungry. the worst feeling ever when you're, like, gaining weight, but you're still hungry. It's like, fuck me, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's got its ups and downs, but it's frustrating if that's not what you want. Right. You know? (laughs) Um, So, yeah, don't wait until you are not food-focused. Everybody comes out of a bodybuilding prep very food-focused, right? Uh, at least if you came in shredded enough for the stage, then you're coming out food focused. Even if you're not food focused, you're hunger focused. <laughs> yeah. So I like to think, I, I don't even like to add in um, free meals until I feel like people are less food focused. Um, and I definitely will not add in any sort of intuitive eating stuff or suggestions until i can tell that my client is not obsessed with food right because you come out of the show obsessed with food and if i said well now just i want you to just eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full they just you won't and that would still technically be correct yeah i mean in post-show in general is just not really the best time to be you're introducing so new behaviors your body is you know? so sensitive i mean the difference between 50 grams of carbs which is what a, a, a banana and a half of an apple the difference of a banana and a half of an apple can make you look like a different person the next day think about how sensitive of a state your body has to be in for that so yeah crazy if you guys have anything that you want to hear us talk about please 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 let us know because i know people get bummed out that we don't put these podcasts out more regularly But a big thing is we want to put out valuable content. We don't just want to pick up the microphones and start yammering at you about whatever just so that we could put a podcast out every two Mm -hmm. weeks. So we have a hard time coming up with ideas of stuff people want to hear about that is going to be valuable to them. So if you guys have something, a topic that you are curious about or you want to hear us delve into a little bit more, just let us know. You can let us know on any social media platform, uh, shoot us an email, what have you. And uh, yeah, if it's something we feel like we could talk about for half hour, 40 minutes or so, then we will definitely do it. 
Okay, and moving on to our product review segment for this episode. Uh, Ramwad. Ramwad is what I'd like to go over. And basically what it is, is it's a subscription service to daily stretching routines, mostly static stretching, you know, yoga kind of positions and whatnot that you hold for three to five minutes at a time. And go, go into that a little bit more. Three to five minutes is a long time to hold a stretch. Yeah, it is. Especially if you don't do it regularly. I mean, honest, my whole entire life, I have always, um, avoided stretching. I've always wanted to get into it, but it's like, Am I going to sit here and do bicep curls or am I going to bend over and stretch for five minutes? Probably going to do the bicep curls. I never really got into stretching. It was really hard for me. But over the last two months, this particular programming, and and you can find it on ramwad.com. I think it's like 13 a month or something worth its weight in gold for me. I've actually been able to consistently stretch. Uh, not only do the routines change every day, and it's something I don't have to think about, I find that the instruction is very engaging, the stretching is geared towards lifters, and man, it's it's made a world of a difference for me. I, I can't believe, I mean, I have many years of undoing in my body with all the the stiffness that I've gotten from exercising and not stretching routinely, but even over the past two months, it's it's been like kind of life-changing for me that I can, you know, grab my arms behind my back and... and um, connect them. I mean, that's not something I've ever been able to do, not even as a kid. Never in my life have I been able to do it with both of my arms. And in two months of stretching, bam. So I've thoroughly enjoyed this programming. I recommend it to everybody. I think they have a seven-day trial period too. They do. You do need to put in a credit card number for it. So I know that's made a lot of people turn away. But I suggest just trying it. And if you don't like it, cancel it before that seven days is up. Um, I'm not a big put my credit card in before you charge me type of a person. But I'm the one who signed us up for this in the first place, uh, and I absolutely freaking love it. I'm a super flexible person anyway, so Giacomo's testimony here is a lot better than mine, um, but I just don't stretch. I don't I don't like to stretch. I'll foam roll. I'll do dynamic stretching, but there's something something about the format of this where every day it's different. You log on, and there's your... 15 to 20 minute session and 15 to 20 minutes goes by really quickly. And because it's so structured, I think it just is um, really great for people who are into strength training because we already like that kind of structure. So it just kind of goes along with that. And as far as stretching goes, it's like intense. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's intense stretching. It's like a mental game kind of, you hold some of these stretches that are, not difficult to get into, but difficult to relax into, and you'll hold them for up to five minutes. And that's tough. And it does build like some grit and some mental toughness. Um, so I really like that about it too. And they do do some breath work, with, which I find really enjoyable. I fucking hate the breath work. <laughs> Can you explain why, please? Uh, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> sorry, Ramwad dude. I don't even know what your name is, but the breath work is brutal. You you should just do it to a metronome. Anyway, so he counts. Inhale one, two, three. So he counts how many in and how many out, but he doesn't count it in like an even beat. And I guess as somebody who was a music major in college, it is just it's like nails on a chalkboard to me. It's like one. Two, three, four, five, 
six, seven, eight, nine, exhale, two, like, ah, stop it. And sometimes it can be like 20 minutes of that. So if that, dri- <laughs> if that drives you crazy like it does me, just turn it down. Turn the volume off and just watch it. <laughs> Right. And for those of you who are not music snobs, I actually, like myself, uh, I find the breath work to be really good, actually. And <laughs> I wind up, <laughs> whatever, I enjoy it. I find that it calms me more throughout the day to be able to take some time to breathe. It's not quite as relaxing as meditating on my central nervous system, but it definitely helps. And I find that I apply it towards lifting, too, when I'm able to breathe better and obviously the mobility helps a great deal yeah it's got to be good if i'm suggesting that everybody do it in spite of something that annoys the piss out of me so breathe danny (laughs) okay and our next segment for today's podcast is the q a and our first question comes in from scott malcolmson on facebook and scott asks how do you get into and understand competitions? Not so much training and nutrition, but the structure and scoring of the events. Okay, so that's a good question. And a lot of people who want to compete know about the sport, but they don't really know how to start. And the first thing that I would suggest for getting into competitions is if, if you want to compete, and I'm not sure if, if Scott Malcolmson does or not, or if he just wants to know more about the judging itself, but I'll, I'll assume somebody wants to compete. The first thing you want to do is decide when you want to compete. Uh, and I suggest picking it at least six months in advance, at the very least. Um, six months to a year, year even is even better. So pick a time frame. And then what I suggest is going on to naturalbodybuildingevents.com and you can search by date, you can search by state, uh, you can search by organization, and you can start to look at what shows are in your area around that time frame. Now, every show on this particular website is a natural, drug-free, drug-tested show, which is why I suggest it. However, there's over a dozen natural bodybuilding organizations, which can be very, very confusing, even to seasoned competitors. So for a brand new competitor, it's crazy confusing. So while there are lots of reputable ones, there are a few that have really good reputations. And the two that are my absolute favorite are the INBF and the OCB. Those are my favorite Those are great organizations. They have a lot of competitions, a lot of members, um, and their drug testing is legit. Well, the cool thing now is that they've merged, so they're one and the same. Yeah, but they're still called two different things, OCB Mm -hmm. and INBF. uh, So then once you pick your show, at that point, you want to start thinking about your prep, and that's an entirely different topic, but you want to... First of all, get a membership with the organization, whether that's OCB, NGA, DFAC, whatever organization. Like I said, there's a thousand of them. Um, But get a membership with them. It's usually like 50 bucks or so for the year. Then you want to register for the show, which could be anywhere from 50 to 150 bucks, depending on the show. Um, At that point, you want to make sure that you schedule your drug test. 
and your tan. These are things you want to do way in advance. If you can do it at the host hotel, most shows have a hotel that hosts people for a discounted rate that are competing in that show. Shoot the organizer an email and they will let you know what the host hotel is. You can hook up with that. Um, I suggest staying at the host hotel. Then there's all this other stuff that <laughs> there's, there's a lot, 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 lot that goes into a bodybuilding competition besides the prep itself and the show day. Um, but as far as the scoring goes, this is a big, nasty gray area in bodybuilding across the board, natural, non-natural, whatever. Uh, there's no set criteria to pick judges for shows with everybody except the naturally fit organization. They're the only ones I know that do it where they have people have to pass a test to be a judge for their organization. And that is badass. And I wish that everybody did that, but they don't. So you usually have seven or nine judges at a show, which surprises a lot of people. It's not just one judge. There's a lot of judges at a panel right in front of the stage. And depending on the category you are in, there's many different rounds that they do. And when I say rounds, that usually means they have you do quarter turns in a circle, you know, quarter turn to the left three times till you're facing front again. That's a round. And typically, with most organizations, the first round, they're checking for symmetry. And when I say symmetry, I don't mean your left bicep is bigger than your right bicep. I mean, they're looking for symmetry from top to bottom, left to right, front to back. So, you know, people that post ab shots on Instagram constantly may have really shitty symmetry. They may have a tiny upper body and huge legs or huge legs. I'm sorry, or huge upper body and tiny legs. They may have a great chest, but no lats, um, small delts, huge abs, you know, you want to have everything in balance with each other to create a very aesthetically pleasing look to the eye, uh, usually in an X shape, typically, except bikini, they're looking for more of a, I don't know, a butt. <laughs> they're, they're looking for balance with a bigger butt. So you can see there's uh, a lot of subjectivity here, depending on what people like. The next round usually has to do with muscular development, especially for physique, bodybuilding, and women's figure. Uh, they're looking to see who has the best muscular development. This is where they're looking for size. Who has the biggest muscles, basically. Um, and each round, they're scoring people based on, you know, first through last on stage. The next one, they're looking for conditioning. Who is the most shredded? And they're scoring you first through last that way. And then from there, they can spin you around a few more times to confirm what they've already seen in um, figure. And the female ones, they're also looking for like poise and grace and facial beauty and some other bullshit that makes me angry. Um, and I believe in men's physique, they're looking for facial beauty as well. Um, I, I, I don't know. I'll have to double check. But those are the big three. Symmetry, muscular development, conditioning. If you can nail those three, you're going to do really well. But there's also just this like it factor. 
that I can't really explain. But when people come out on stage, your eye can just be drawn to one or two people and you can't quite place why. And typically those people do well. So I'll just leave it at that because that's not actually part of the, the judging. So the scoring, everybody has rated everybody one, first through last in all of those rounds. Then they total it all up and whoever has the lowest score, meaning they were, you know, someone put them first in multiple rounds, they would have the lowest score. Whoever has the lowest score is first place. Whoever has the highest score is last place. And that is that. I could talk about that all day. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost... <laughs> It's almost something that we should probably maybe even consider doing a whole podcast yeah, on yeah, at maybe. some point. Maybe you know? I think so. I think that's what he suggested. Yeah, so. perhaps. All right. So the next question actually wasn't directed at us specifically. I just happened to see it in the vegan bodybuilding group. But I've heard it so many times uh, that I think it should be addressed. So, all right. I'll leave it anonymous because she didn't ask us to do this. <clears throat> question. When I show pictures of vegan bodybuilders that are ripped or in good shape to any of my omnivorous male friends, I know they instantly say that those guys are on steroids and that's why they're so ripped. Is that true? Hmm. Well, I think we just take that personally when because vegans are discredited and, uh, you know, on all over the place. And... Uh, <sighs> I would say as far as muscle building is concerned, whenever someone reaches that level of conditioning where they're stage lean and they're jacked, they have lots of muscles, I think the steroid accusation gets thrown out across the board, vegan or not, actually. Um, and it's something that can be really challenging to deal with as a competitor. Um, but you get it even more when somebody is vegan. You can't deny that. I've seen it happen a billion times. Yeah, ask me this question, damn it. I don't think so. Yeah. Really? You don't think so? Ugh. No, I think anytime somebody sees somebody who's in really good shape and they say that person's vegan, people often say, are steroids vegan? Mm. I can't count the number of times I've heard that and it drives me insane because there's this idea that vegans can't get in tip-top shape without steroids. And you and I both know that to be very untrue. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm sure there are vegans out there who do use performance-enhancing drugs. And that's all well and good. Um, but I would say, if anything, that you're less likely to see someone who's vegan using steroids. Not to say that they don't exist, just that you're less likely. Because typically, vegans seem to be a little more conscious about what they put into their body. And, you know, they might think twice before using steroids. For yeah, example. I would say so. Absolutely. I mean, I just know for a fact that I've seen people look at pictures of Tori Washington or Derek and immediately shout steroids Jahina. and Jahina. And you and I both know that those three particularly are 100% natural. Anybody that is on team plant built is natural and they need to be natural in order to compete with us because as we stated the shows are drug tested so you need to pass to pass a polygraph to even step on stage and if you win you have to piss in a cup and they test it for all sorts of stuff um are there vegans out there who take steroids i'm sure that there are out of the 
hundreds of vegan athletes that I know personally, I can think of like two or three people that use some sort of illegal performance enhancing drug. But I mean, that is a very, very tiny percentage. And when I think about, you know, Jack Mo and I go into the gym, there's lots of dudes there that are on juice in the gym that are not vegan. I actually think like Giacomo said, taking steroids is more common with weightlifters who are not vegan. Um, Typically, people who don't know a whole lot about bodybuilding or weightlifting, when they decide to get into bodybuilding, they look to the NPC, right? NPC is a bodybuilding organization that is the biggest, most famous bodybuilding organization in the world. And, um, you know, that's the pro level of that is the IFBB, which is the Olympia, uh, yada, yada, yada. But that's the most famous one. Those are the ones that are on the covers of all the magazines. And steroids are just part of the game in that organization. So when like 15-year-old dudes pick up Flex Magazine and decide they want to get into bodybuilding, steroids are a part of it. So there are a lot of people who get into the roid culture um, from a very young age simply because they're looking to that organization. And this is why we feel so strongly about natural organizations. I mean, if somebody wants to take steroids, that's their prerogative. That's their body. They can do whatever they want with it. However, to prove the point that we live to prove that you can be vegan and a competitive strength or bodybuilding athlete, taking steroids would counter that point. It would say, it would, it would make that statement true that no, it's not that we're vegan and good athletes. It's that we're vegan and we take steroids. So I can speak for ourselves for sure and everybody that's on Team Plant Built that everybody everybody there is natural and there's some big ass strong ripped people on that team and you can achieve those physiques without drugs. Okay, so we were going to wrap it up, but Giacomo promised this person that we would answer these questions. So we we are going to get them in even though we usually just do two questions. Go ahead, Jack. Email questions anonymous. Uh, Hi there. What are your thoughts regarding birth control, both in terms of animal testing ingredients and the effects synthetic hormones have on a woman's ability to put on muscle? Okay. So as far as birth control not being vegan, I think that is a really, really tough line to draw because every medication is not vegan because it has to be tested on animals. So that's one of those things that you have to figure out for yourself, whether you want to partake in that or not. Personally, I am on birth control. Um, To me, avoiding medication because it's been tested on animals when it uh, can save my life, I suppose. I have polycystic ovarian syndrome and endometriosis, and the birth control makes my life livable. Um, it's kind of the same thing about the fact that there's animal parts in the tires of my car, but I still drive one because um, it's just pra- impractical not to for that reason. Um, so there's that. As far as the hormones in regards to muscle building and shedding fat. I know a ton of female competitors who do take hormonal birth control. It can have an impact on 
your ability to build muscle. And it will also have an impact on not how much fat you store necessarily, but kind of where you store fat. And that can have a negative effect or it can have a positive effect depending on the person. Uh, I think every birth control pill is different. And I think that every birth control pill reacts differently with different women. And it's important to talk to your doctor and try to find one that has the least side effects and that jives with you the most. And that can take some time. Okay, next question. How do you go about calculating the macros for items such as rice or pasta where the macros are listed for dry weight? Do you prep it one serving at a time or say fuck it and guesstimate with measuring cups rather than a scale? Okay, so this is a good question and very practical. There are a few ways to do this. One, you can go to nutritiondata.com and look up how much is in 100 grams of, say, cooked rice instead of dry rice. They list it in many different weights. It's just you're not going to be able to look on the back of the package and figure that out. Another thing you can do is, for the first time, cook up one serving of whatever it is, rice or pasta, and then weigh that afterwards or measure it afterwards. So maybe 28 grams of dry rice cooks up to be a half a cup of cooked rice, which it actually does. I know that. <laughs> um, and then, you know, from then on, when you cook a pot of rice, a half a cup is, is one serving. So that's one way to do it. And then from then on, you can cook it in batches and it'll be much easier to divide up. All right. And the last question, what, if anything happens when a person stop supplementing with creatine after taking it for a while? Uh, If you stop supplementing with creatine, uh, you're not going to notice any change probably in the first week. Um, Within the second week, you'll probably drop anywhere from one to five pounds, depending on if you're a smaller female or a larger male. Um, You'll drop weight when you stop taking creatine. And then from there that's that's water weight that you're losing because the creatine that was in your muscles was holding on to water and as you deplete those creatine stores so goes the water so you will notice after that that your one rep max may go down a little bit Uh, you will probably find that what you could do let's say you were doing a five by five uh, at 200 pounds deadlifting 200 pounds for five by five, a couple weeks after your, you stop taking creatine, maybe you can only do five sets of four at 200 pounds. Because what creatine does is it gives you the oomph to get an extra rep or two, which increases your overall training volume, which increases your overall muscle. So to shorten that, you're going to drop a couple pounds, you're probably going to look flatter. So you're going to When you take creatine, a lot of times you look like you have a permanent pump. (laughs) And when you stop taking creatine, that can go away and you can feel like, oh my God, I lost all this muscle, but it's really just water. But you may lose muscle over time because you're not going to be able to lift quite as much. All right, everybody. And thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Muscles by Brussels Radio. Feel free to reach out to us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Vegan Proteins and at Muscles by Brussels. Uh, Let us know if you have any questions. Leave us a review on iTunes if you could. And in the meantime, stay in touch. I'm Danny. And I'm Giacomo. And we'll talk to you soon.